last week called Unto the Ends of the Earth. And we're talking about God's plan and God's heart for missions. How many of you know that God uh, cares and loves what we're doing at Rock Hill Church? Uh, God, God loves us and loves this place. But how many of you also know that God loves uh, churches all around the world and that God loves people and uh, that God has a heart for all the nations and all people and the gospel is freely available and ready for all of humanity. And so we have to stop and consider what is our role in missions and the work that God is doing around the world. And so that's what we've been talking about over the last several weeks in this series, Unto the Ends of the Earth. And today I want to bring a message that I'm calling Against the Current. Against the Current. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 13, and we're going to start reading in verse number 42. And if you're ready, would you say amen? The Bible says this. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath day, almost the whole city together uh, came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against. Everybody say against. We see that there was this opposition. They spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should have first been spoken to you, but seeing ye have put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Which is a very sobering statement that we'll come back to today. He says this, Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. He made a turn. For so the Lord hath commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. Aren't you thankful that salvation is available unto the ends of the earth? Let's have a word of prayer together today. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. Thank you for the work that you're doing in this place. Thank you for the nine o'clock service that we had today, Lord. And I just pray that you would speak to us in a great way here at the 11 o'clock service. God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit this morning to give me the appropriate words that would be beneficial for our time together and that we would really fixate our focus upon you and your word and that nothing would be a distraction or a barrier uh, from us receiving the message that you would have for us today. God, I pray that we would learn what it looks like to go against the current for your glory. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. A few weeks ago, I was driving down Arrow, real close to the church here, and I was headed to the Ontario airport, and I saw something that caught my attention. I had never seen it before. It really stood out to me. As I was driving, I saw a house that was kind of converted and reconstructed to look like the gates from the movie Jurassic Park, and it was kind of just out of nowhere. And so I went back to the office, and I grabbed Daniel and Seth, and I said, you guys have got to see this. Come with me. And we went to Jurassic Park. And how many of you have ever seen this on Arrow? Anybody seen the Jurassic Park house? 
It's about five minutes from here. And so if you need a field trip after church today, go and take your kids and see uh, Jurassic Park. And uh, we were driving by, and I was like, what in the world? Like, what kind of serious Jurassic Park? Like, I'm a Jurassic Park fan, but I'm not doing that to my house, right? What kind of serious Jurassic Park fan is going to build that uh, around their house? And I thought about that, and I thought, uh, that is a house that is not afraid to stand out, right? Uh, They are not afraid to stand out. You know, the reality is today, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been called and commissioned to stand out. That we have been called to be uh, different. The Bible says that we are uh, his chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We are peculiar people. We have been called to stand out and to be different from the world. And if we are to be different from the world, what that inevitably means is that we are going to go against the current of the culture in which we are living. And and so if we are going to stand out, then we're going to go against uh, the current. How many of you have ever felt like maybe the world was headed one direction and you're trying to go the other direction, right? We're we're, we're swimming upstream. Uh, Several years ago, Katie and I, we visited Alaska. And one of the tourist attractions that you can see in Alaska is the salmon swimming upstream, right? And they're, they're, they're jumping up out of the water. They're swimming upstream. And the reason why a salmon is swimming upstream is it's actually returning to the very same stream or river that it was born in so that it can go back there to give birth to a new generation of salmon. And so even if that salmon had traveled upwards of a thousand miles away in the ocean, because of the way that God designed it and an incredible sense of smell, that salmon can go all the way back to its original home stream and home river. And I thought about that and I thought that's a beautiful picture of the Christian life. Not only are we swimming upstream and going against the current, but we're going against the current until we reach our home, our final destination in heaven someday. And that's exactly what the Bible talks about in 1 Peter, that we are strangers and pilgrims in this life. A stranger is someone that is away from home, but a pilgrim is someone that is going home. Is anybody thankful today that this world is not our home and that we are headed to an eternal destination forever with Jesus and our home is in heaven? And that's the beauty of the gospel message. But as followers of Jesus, we have to recognize today that we're going against the current. And sometimes that's not fun. Uh, Sometimes that's painful. It hurts. And sometimes it seems like, man, everybody's against me. And it seems like my relationships are working against me. And the people in my workplace are working against me. But if you feel as though you are traversing through life against the current, you just might be headed in the right direction. Because that is the way that it's always been. If you study in the Bible, all throughout Scripture, specifically the early church, the early church was always going against the current. And this is what we see in Acts chapter 13 today. We see that the early church is is just getting started. They're going to send the Apostle Paul and Barnabas out on their first missionary journey, and they were going against the current. How many of you have ever been on a missions trip? Anybody been privileged to go on a missions trip? And uh, I've had the privilege to go on many missions trips in my uh, life. And typically in Western culture, uh, our idea of a mission trip is uh, that we will uh, go to a foreign country and try some peculiar foods and uh, we might uh, participate in a church service and we might paint a building and then we'll get back on a plane, we'll go back home and we'll go to In-N-Out so we can feel at home once again, right? That's typically uh, our idea of a successful mission trip. But what we see in Acts chapter 13, the text that we're going to study today, we see the first ever mission trip. And it looked a little bit different than what I just described, right? Uh, This missions trip uh, was filled with adversity and opposition in life or death situations. But what we find is that Paul and Barnabas, they stayed strong against the current and continued in the path that God had for them. Now, 
to give us a little context, would it be okay if I gave you a little context to Acts chapter 13 today? To get a little bit of context, uh, context, what we see is that uh, Paul and Barnabas, they're sent out on this missionary journey, and they start in the city of Antioch in Syria. Now, whenever I'm talking about Paul's missionary journeys or studying uh, the early church, I like to nerd out a little bit and go to the maps in the back of the Bible. How many of you have ever looked at the maps in the back of your Bible? How many of you are like, news to me? I didn't even know there was maps back there, okay? Well, if that's you, no worries. We have a map for us today. And we're going to look at Paul's first missionary journey for a moment. And so Paul started in Antioch in Syria, and he went out with Barnabas, and he went to the island of Cyprus. While Paul was at Cyprus, something incredibly interesting happened. They were introduced right away to uh, perhaps the most prominent and influential person on the whole island. Uh, his name was Sergius Paulus. You can read about it in the first part of Acts chapter 13. He was the governor of the island. And so you show up to the island as a missionary, and right off the bat, you get to talk to the most important person on the island. And so they're going to share the gospel with Sergius Paulus. But there was another man there named Bar-Jesus. Bar-Jesus, the Bible tells us, was a sorcerer. He was a magician. And he did not like the message of the gospel. And he was attached to Sergius Paulus. And so when, when Paul and Barnabas showed up and were preaching the gospel uh, to the governor, uh, this man stood in the middle and said, no, I don't like this message. And he withstood them and opposed the gospel message. And it's interesting that Bar-Jesus did this because I think there's a lesson for us today. Uh, his name actually means the son of salvation. So he had a good name. Not only did he have a strong name, the son of salvation, but he also apparently could do some pretty impressive things as a sorcerer, as a magician. And so from an external appearance, he looked good and he sounded good, but he was a false prophet. Now, please hear me today because this is an admonition that the church needs to hear this morning. Just because you hear someone in culture or on social media or on TV that looks good and sounds good, it doesn't mean that their theology is on point. And so we have to be very careful about the content that we consume, and we have to recognize that there are false prophets, and we have to stay grounded in what the gospel message is. And so uh, Bar-Jesus, the son of salvation, he's opposing the message, but Paul and Barnabas, they're bold. They keep preaching anyways. And Sergius Paulus, the governor, he gets saved. And so uh, he accepts Christ. So how many of you would say, so far, pretty successful mission trip, right? Go to the island uh, of Cyprus, and uh, this governor gets saved. So they go from there. And they go north, and they wind up in the city of Antioch in Pisidia. Sometimes we can get confused, two different Antiochs. They started in Antioch in Syria. That's where the, first, uh, uh, that's where the church sent out this first missions trip. They find themselves in Antioch in Pisidia. Now, Antioch of Pisidia was an interesting place. It was kind of this convolution of different cultures, this melting pot, if you will, because it was lo uh, located on this major uh, thoroughfare. And so a lot of people traveled through Antioch of Pisidia. You would have Greeks and Romans and Jews and, and all, all, all sorts of backgrounds coming in this one place. As a result, it was a pretty hostile and volatile uh, environment, and uh, you would see a lot of uh, uh, unsettled uh, nature here in this place. And so uh, Paul and Barnabas, they wind up in Antioch in Pisidia, and this is where Paul is going to preach his first ever recorded sermon. Now, Paul had preached undoubtedly sermons before, and he had preached the gospel before, but here in Acts chapter 13, if you read leading up to verse number 42, what you find is Paul's first ever recorded sermon taking place here in Antioch in Pisidia. And so that gives us the background that catches us up to speed, and what we're going to study this morning is actually the response of the people to that first ever recorded sermon, okay? Uh, I remember the first sermon that I ever preached. 
I preached in a little country church in Taft, California. And I remember I was so nervous. I don't think I looked up one time the whole time. I was just, my head was down, and I had so many notes, and I wrote down everything I could possibly think of sharing that day, and I preached for a full 11 minutes. And uh, that was it. And then I went, and I sat down. And I remember the deacon at that church thought it was so unusual that I got done so quickly. He didn't know what to do, so he went back up, and we sang hymns for another 30 minutes after that. Just we're going to keep on singing. Uh, we got to fill the time somehow. Well, this is Paul's uh, first recorded sermon, and there was a mixed response from the people. And in this response, I believe what we find is four ways that we can stand strong as we navigate against the current. Okay, so four ways. If you're taking notes today, uh, here's what uh, they are this morning. Number one is this. If we're going to stand strong against the current, we have to remain centered on the gospel. A lot of people today are centered on all kinds of things. A lot of churches are centered on all kinds of things and are passionate about all kinds of things. But if we're serious about standing strong against the current, we must remain centered on the gospel. Now, we're not going to take the time to look at all of Paul's sermon, but if you read the previous verses leading up to verse number 42, you will see that Paul had one overwhelming, overarching uh, message to his sermon. And that message was this, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul was not consumed with man-made philosophy or with human arguments. Paul was concerned with one thing, and that was the gospel message. That was his priority. That is what he focused on. That is the message that he was preaching. George Whitfield said this, other men may preach the gospel better than I, but no man can preach a better gospel. And he was uh, passionate about the gospel message and centered on the gospel message. Now, because of this centeredness on the gospel message, notice the response. We're going to see first the people were interested in verse number 42. And so if you have your Bible today, I want to encourage you to keep it ready and open. We're going to start to unpack these verses. We'll refer back to them often. Verse 42. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. And so what we see is that the Gentiles uh, were very interested in this message that Paul and Barnabas were preaching. In fact, they were so interested, they said, Paul, hey, you need to come back next week and you need to preach this message again. They were very interested in hearing what Paul had to say. They were interested in the gospel. By the way, the goal of any teacher the goal of any communicator, if you're teaching children or young adults or, or teenagers, the goal of any teacher is to create interest, right? You want people to be interested in what you have to say. And the people were interested uh, in the gospel message. They wanted to hear more. They said, Paul, we need to hear more. It reminds me of the church in Berea in Acts chapter 17, verse number 10, where the Bible says this. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? In that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Why? They were interested. And it's my prayer and it's my heart's desire that at Rock Hill, we would be a people that are interested not in just philosophy and not in just what feels good, but we are interested in the word of God and the gospel message. They wanted to hear more. They were interested in the scriptures. By the way, I'm thankful for our dream team. I'm thankful for all the servant leaders at Rock Hill and for those that serve in the parking lot and the usher team and the worship team and the kids ministry and the sound and media ministry. How many of you are thankful for the servant leaders at Rock Hill? But you know, more than the logistics and the structure and the systems of what we do as a church and all of our volunteer teams, and more than the practicalities, what I'm thankful for is that we have some servant leaders and volunteers that are interested in the word of God. 
I'm thankful that we have a great usher team that wants to help people find seats, but I'm thankful that after the ushers help people find seats, they don't just go in the lobby and completely dismiss the preaching and the worship time. I'm thankful that we have a worship team that spends hours and hours of practice and preparation. But when they sing on Sunday, uh, they don't just sing as it were a performance and then leave and go get in their cars and go home. No, I'm thankful that in the 11 o'clock service, they go out the back door, come right back in, sit on the front row, and are ready to hear from God's word. Because if we're going to see revival in our midst and we're going to see God move, it won't be because there's great entertainment and we because we have the greatest children's ministries and the greatest facilities. It will be because we remain centered on the gospel message, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. You can go into the world and you can find all kinds of churches that are about all kinds of things, but here at Rock Hill, we are passionate and remain centered on the gospel. That is what we are all about. And so they were interested, but the people were not only interested in the message. They said, Paul, you need to come back. They were also challenged. Paul and Barnabas challenged them. Notice verse number 43. It says this, Now, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes, essentially Jews and Gentiles, followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue, everybody say continue, to continue in the grace of God. You know what Paul and Barnabas said? Hey, I know that you guys are interested, and I know that you want to hear more. Let me encourage you to continue in God's grace. In other words, don't go back to a legalistic mindset. Don't go back to the chains of religion and legalism. Continue, continue, keep on moving forward in the grace of God. Anybody can start well. But in ministry, longevity requires intentionality. I want to be a steward that is considered and found faithful. I want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Uh, There has to be uh, some continuation. I want to encourage you. We're coming to the end of 2021. God has given us an incredible year. We've seen more people saved and baptized. God has done some amazing things. But I want to encourage our church family. Let's finish strong. Let's keep on moving forward. Let's not slow down. Let's not take our foot off the gas. Let's charge into 2022, believing it's going to be the best year that we've ever had as a church, and we're going to continue on in the grace of God. And we believe God's going to do some amazing things in our midst, but we must remain centered on the gospel. Now, notice verse number 44. Everybody still with me? Verse 44. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together. They actually showed up. All the people that came to... Paul and Barnabas and said, will you please come back next week and preach this message again? So Paul and Barnabas, they came back the next week, and almost the whole city shows up. Now, I've had a lot of people tell me that they were going to come to church, and then they were a no-show, okay? They, they did not show up. I remember one time when I was, when I was in junior high, uh, we had a special event as a church. We, we had an open house Sunday. And everyone that brought a guest that open house Sunday was going to have a meal afterwards in the gym at the church. And I remember they were serving chicken cordon bleu. And uh, that sounded kind of fancy. And so I thought, I want to go. And I want to have some guests have chicken cordon bleu that day. And so I went out and invited all my friends and invited all my neighbors. I went to public schools and I invited people. I wrote down names. And I got so many confirmations of people that told me that they were going to come to church. I was excited. You had to reserve the tables in the gym to have your guests come. And so I told the people that were in charge, I need two tables. I need two tables for all the guests that are coming in. And so that day, I went after church, and I sat at that table, and I was just uh, smiling, waiting for all my guests to come. Not one person came. It was. It was sad. I was surrounded by a sea of people sitting by myself, and I'm like, hey, more chicken cordon bleu for me, right? So I, just, I, I sat there, but nobody uh, showed up. Nobody uh, came. Uh, what, the, the, what happened here in verse number 44 is the people actually showed up, but what I want you to see is why they showed up. 
Did you see it in verse 44? There was a reason. Notice it. Verse 44. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. The whole city came together to have an amazing concert. The whole city came together to have the best entertainment. So that's not what it says. They came together because they had a desire and a hunger for God's word. And again, I want to reiterate, if we're going to see revival, if we're going to see God move, it's not going to be about entertainment. It's not going to be about our flesh. It's got to be about the written, revealed, inspired, infallible word of God. They wanted to hear God's word. So they showed up. They came back. They were challenged to continue on in the gospel message. John Stott said this, all around us we are seeing Christians and churches relaxing their grasp on the gospel, fumbling it, and in danger of letting it drop from their hands altogether. As a church, we must remain centered on the gospel. That's foundational. That's number one. Here's a second thought today. Number two, we have to prepare for opposition. Uh, we know that the Christian life is going to accompany, uh, be accompanied with opposition, right? We know that. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We know that uh, difficulty will come and it will arise. And I want us to see, starting in verse 45, how this opposition forms. Because up until this point, it seems like things are going fairly well, right? I mean, Sergius Paulus, the governor on Cyprus, got saved. They show up to Antioch and Pisidia. The whole city comes together. So it seems like things are going pretty well. Notice verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with, what is it? Envy. If there was one thing that a Jewish person in the first century could not stand was that the Gentiles might be recipients of God's blessings. Remember, there was great racial tension and hatred between the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Jewish people thought, we we are all about God's salvation. We're all about God's blessings for us. But when they heard, for the Gentiles, this good news of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection is for the Gentiles as well, all of a sudden, they couldn't stomach it. And all of a sudden, they became filled with envy. And notice what the envy caused them to do. They spake against. Okay, so now Paul and Barnabas are going against the current. Okay, against. Those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. And so uh, they were filled with envy. By the way, envy is an ugly monster that lives deep within all of us. And if we're not careful, we'll let it stay on the inside, but it will destroy us from the inside out. The Bible says this about envy and about jealousy in Proverbs 14, verse number 30. A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy, the rottenness of the bones. So a spiritually mature person learns to rejoice when someone else gets promoted, when someone else gets an opportunity. I'm going to rejoice with those that rejoice, and I'm going to weep with those that weep. And we have to steer very clear from envy because the envy in the Jewish hearts caused them to contradict and blaspheme the message of the gospel. Did you see in verse 45? Contradicting and blaspheming. Two words there. They attack the message. Here's what the word contradicting means. It means riotous opposition, okay? Now, in 2020, we saw in the news um, for several months, we saw a lot of riotous um, mobs and opposition. We saw, um, we saw a lot of turmoil, right? That's the idea of the word contradicting here. So put that image in your mind. So when Paul is preaching the gospel and when Paul is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, because the Jews became envious, they started to riot and there was a mob. But not only did they contradict the message, But then they started to blaspheme, which is the worst kind of sin, to speak ill of Jesus Christ. 
to speak an unholy word about a holy God. And so they started to contradict and to blaspheme. There was this hostile opposition to the gospel. And please hear me today. Make no mistake about it. There is going to be increasingly more opposition to the gospel message in our culture today. In case you missed it, uh, there's a drifting from the truth. There's a distortion of the truth. There's a perversion of the truth. I believe we're living in the days that the prophet Isaiah prophesied about when he says, Woe to those that call that which is evil good. And you call that which is good evil. We're living in those times. That's the day in which we're living. There's going to be opposition and attacks on the gospel message. But they didn't stop there because that didn't hold a lot of traction. The message was so powerful. So they stopped attacking the message and they started to attack the messenger. Notice it in verse 50. Everybody still with me? In verse 50, it says this, But the Jews stirred up the, the devout and the honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas. So they attacked the message. That didn't have traction. So then they attacked the messengers. By the way, don't be surprised in your Christian walk and journey as you go against the current if you experience personal opposition. Sometimes I think we expect it as a whole, right? Like, okay, the culture's going one way and the church is going another way. There's going to be a rift. There's going to be some opposition. But don't be surprised when it comes to you personally. When you experience that kind of persecution and that kind of opposition. In the late 1800s, there was this amazing missions movement that was going on in India. And uh, uh, so many people were coming to Christ in India and and receiving the good news of the gospel. And as those people were receiving uh, the gospel message, they experienced some intense persecution. And people that were getting saved, uh, they were being mocked and belittled and beaten and experiencing great persecution. And one of the men that was a part of that hostility was a man named Sundar Singh. And this person was contributing to the persecution against the church. In fact, by his own account and testimony, he would tear up pages out of scripture and he would yell at those that received the gospel message. Well, he tells his story and he talks about how one night after his mother passed away, he was at an all-time low. And he says that he came to a point where he was considering uh, taking his own life. And he said in that moment, for the first time, he felt the presence of God and he began to search And a couple of days later, he prayed and accepted Christ as his Savior. And then after that, as you can imagine, everyone that he previously knew and associated with disassociated with him and rejected him. Even his own father wanted nothing to do with him. And so after that, Sundar Singh came and he wrote these words to a now very familiar song. He wrote these words, I have decided to follow Jesus, the cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. He went on to say this, it's easy to die for Christ. It's hard to live for him. Dying takes only an hour or two, but to live for Christ means to die daily. I'm going to die to my flesh. I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to surrender my desires, my will, my flesh over to Jesus and do whatever he wants me to do on a daily basis. Not my will, thine be done. There's going to be some persecution. There's going to be some opposition. In fact, this is what Jesus said. Are you interested in what Jesus had to say about this subject? He said this in Matthew 5, verse number 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So when you stand for truth, when you stand for the word of God, and you experience some ridicule from friends, neighbors, and coworkers, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. rejoice. And be exceeding glad. That seems a little out of place. 
when people are talking bad about you, when people are persecuting you, when people are hurting you, when you are experiencing pain and suffering, rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven. Again, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Can I encourage somebody today? It does not matter who is against you in life. If your family is against you, if your neighbors are against you, if your coworkers are against you, because guess what? God is for you. And he will never leave you and never forsake you. And so when you feel like you're going against the current and swimming upstream and everyone's in opposition, just know that you have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit of God within you. And he will give you everything that you need to live a life pertaining to godliness. And so we can be ready for opposition. We can expect it and be prepared, anticipate the trial that we are not yet in. But here's the third thought today, number three. If we're going to go against the current, learn to turn the tide. Turn the tide. Now, that's a common idiom, and it refers to a dramatic uh, reversal of fortune, so a change in circumstances, a dramatic uh, change. And what we see is that Paul and Barnabas are going to turn the tide. And I love it. Starting in verse number 46, the Bible says this. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold. Okay, so they got courageous. And they said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, speaking to the Jewish people. But seeing ye have put it from you, seeing you have rejected the gospel and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Now, let me pause for a moment. That is a sobering statement. You've judged yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. In other words, you have pronounced your own sentence. See, the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But when someone rejects Jesus Christ, I reject Christ, they have pronounced judgment on themselves, pronounced themselves unworthy of everlasting life. And so Paul and Barnabas are talking, and they're talking to the Jewish people, and they said, hey, you've rejected the gospel, so this is what we're going to do. You've rejected it, so here's what we're going to do, verse 46. At the end of the verse, it says, lo, we turn, everybody say turn, we turn to the Gentiles. And so here it is. They're preaching to both Jews and Gentiles. They're preaching the gospel message. The Jewish people uh, got very envious. They did not think that the Gentiles deserved it or, or that they were entitled to salvation. They got envious. They rejected Jesus. They rejected the gospel message. And so here's what Paul did. He turned and he said, okay, you've rejected Christ. We're going to preach to the Gentiles. He says, we're going to take a difficulty. We're going to take opposition and we're going to turn it into an opportunity. They turned the tide. They took opposition, made it an opportunity. He says it was necessary that the gospel came to the Jew first. That's also what Paul said in Romans 1.16. If you remember, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, why first to the Jew? Well, he was saying chronologically the gospel went to the Jew first. And in the Jewish nation, the Jewish people were going to be blessed so that they could be a blessing. So chronologically, the gospel came to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so Paul and Barnabas, they're preaching the gospel message. They're experiencing this opposition. And what they decided to do was turn the tide. Hey, we're going to focus on, on, on the Gentiles and we're going to preach the gospel unto them. Now, Paul's going to uh, expound on this a little bit more and go a little bit deeper. And I think there's great application for us today. Notice it in verse number 47. He says, for so hath the Lord commanded us saying, I have set thee to be a light 
of the Gentiles. Now, that phrase was an exact quotation from the prophet Isaiah. And so he's pulling uh, from the prophet Isaiah scripture that the Jewish people would have been very well acquainted with. And so he's using scripture, he's preaching the Bible, and he says, he says in verse number uh, 47, to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. Now, this is what this series has been all about. Our responsibility to get the gospel unto the uttermost part of the earth, unto the ends of the earth. And I love that Paul is taking personal responsibility here. He says, for so hath the Lord commanded us. A lot of times we think evangelism is a gift for them. That person can share the gospel, and uh, I'm a little bit more timid in my personality, and so someone else just has that gift, and so I'll just kind of let them do it. Can I tell you that we have all been called and commissioned to share the good news of the gospel? Paul says, hey, uh, God has commanded us. You see the, uh, the responsibility there? God has commanded us to be a light unto the Gentiles. I was reading this week about uh, the Olympic torch in the Olympic Games. And uh, the Olympic torch has a really uh, fascinating process uh, of how it gets to the host city. Uh, months before the Olympics start, that torch will be lit in Olympia, Greece. And from there, it'll travel to several different cities until it gets to its final uh, host destination. And as it's traveling, they take very uh, great safety precautions. They want to make sure there's security detail and there's always media following the torch and the flame and wanting to make sure that uh, they have extra torches with them in case that flame ever goes out. They want to light it again quickly. And they take all these special precautions. And in fact, if that torch will go onto an airplane, uh, they have to get special permission from the airlines. And they will uh, take these little lanterns and keep that flame ablaze on the airlines until it can reach uh, ground, until they light the torch once again. And so they take great uh, detail and, and they go through all of these exhaust, exhaustive uh, measures to make sure that that flame stays lit. And it's considered a great privilege for any Olympic athlete to carry that torch. If you get to carry that torch, that's, a, that's an honor to be a torch bearer. Can I tell you how much more of an honor and a privilege it is for us to carry the torch for the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords? Hey, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are representatives of Christ, and it's our job to keep the flame lit, to go and to tell the world about the good news of Jesus Christ unto the ends of the earth. But so often, we hide our light. We put it under a bushel. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. How bright is your light shining for Jesus today? Are you being a faithful torchbearer? Are you sharing your faith? I believe we can do that in two ways. We can do it locally and we can do it globally. Locally, we do that by actually extending an invitation, inviting someone to church. Hey, will you join me at the 9 o'clock service? Will you join me at the 11 o'clock service? Inviting people to come in. We have many opportunities to do that. I'm looking forward to uh, December 18th and 19th, and we're having our Christmas experience. Is anybody excited for the Christmas season coming up, getting ready for Christmas, celebrating the birth of Jesus? As a church, we're pulling out all the stops we're having a Polar Express train ride for the kids out there. That's exciting. I might ride it. I don't know. I don't know who the conductor is going to be. Daniel volunteered. We're going to have a great Sunday. But we're not just doing that just so we can have fun. Hey, we want to have fun. I believe we can enjoy the Christian life. God has given us all things richly to enjoy. Why are we doing that? We're pulling out all the stops so that we can carry the torch. So that we can invite people in. 
And we can tell people about the good news of the gospel and tell people the real reason of Christmas and the real reason of the birth of Jesus Christ. Because if you understand the real reason, then there is hope today. And there is light for the darkness. So I want to encourage you to be a bringer this season, to invite someone to join you at church. We can, we can light the torch locally, but we can also, also keep the flame lit globally. How do we do that? Well, maybe God would have some of us go to the mission field through mission trips. Maybe God would call you to a foreign nation to go and to get established there to preach the gospel in some place like Costa Rica or the Philippines or Thailand like we talked about last week. But maybe God would not have you go, but I believe that we can all participate through giving and through praying. Last week, we passed out these cards, and I wanted to make mention of them this morning because it's the last time that we're going to talk about these cards. It says stewardship commitment, and uh, there should have been a card on your seat. If not today, they're in the back. You can grab one, and it has three categories. It says tithe. The word tithe simply means tenth. We believe that uh, God is the owner of it all, and we are called to be faithful in generosity and faithful in giving back the first 10% back to God. And so that's tied to the local church. The second category is multiply. That is for our building fund. And we're believing uh, that God is going to provide for us a future building that we can purchase and call home. How many of you are thankful for the building that we're sitting in right now? I'm thankful for it. How many of you know we're going to outgrow this building? And it's not all about growth, but healthy things grow. And we want to be a healthy church. And so we believe that God is going to provide for us a building, and we want to be in a position to be able to put a down payment on that building. So that's the multiply fund. And then the third category is the missions fund. And everything that goes to the missions fund completely goes out and goes to the missionaries that we support around the world. And so we want to support more missionaries in 2022. And so this card, very simply, I'll tell you how it works. Anything that's committed to missions, today we're going to collect the total, and we're going to establish that as our 2022 missions budget. And so whatever comes in, whatever is committed, we're going to say, okay, this is how much we have in our missions fund, and this is how many missionaries we can support with that money. How many of you think it would be an awesome thing if we doubled the amount of missionaries we could support in 2022? I think it would be an amazing thing. These are ways that we can keep the flame lit, to be a faithful torchbearer in the cause of Christ. Now, notice uh, the response from the Gentiles in verse 48. Got a few more minutes left in you today? And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. Of course, they thought, wow, salvation is for us. We can receive the good news of the gospel. They were glad. And watch this. And they glorified Paul and Barnabas. Is that what it says? It says they glorified the word of the Lord. You know who deserves the glory in your life and in my life and in our church? The Lord. (laughs) They glorified the word. It wasn't all about, wow, look at these amazing people. Uh, Look at these amazing leaders. It was all about, wow, the word of God is amazing. Salvation is available for us. And they glorified the word of the Lord. I wonder, in your life, who's getting the glory? Are we quick to receive the glory? Or are we quick to deflect the glory and reflect it back to God. See, that they glorified the word of the Lord. They were, they were uh, uh, amazed at this. And then it says in verse 49, and the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. God's word was mobilized. It was advanced. There was multiplication that was taking place, and the word of God was on the move. I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones said. He said, the glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. And so for us, it's not about blending in and being just like the culture. It's about standing out and having some courage like the Jurassic Park house to be a little bit different. And when we stand out, when we recognize that we're a peculiar people, 
a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, that will inevitably attract people to the church. Because at the end of the day, people are not just searching for relevance, they're searching for truth. They'd much rather find someone that is telling them the truth than someone that is cool. Right? When you go to the doctor, you don't want the doctor to be real relevant with you. You want the doctor to tell you the truth about your condition. And so what we see is that uh, the word of God was being multiplied and publishing throughout all the region. And there was this desire. If you look at verse 44, verse 46, verse 48, verse 49, in all of those verses, the word of God is mentioned. Because that's what it was all about. And this leads us to our fourth and final thought today. Number four is this, and we'll be done. If we're going to stay strong against the current today, we have to keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Notice verse number 50. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. And so again, the opposition is intensifying. They said, you've got to leave. They expelled them from their coast. They said, we don't want you here anymore. They experienced persecution. Now, Paul doesn't give us details as to what that persecution looks like. But if you study some other places in scripture, you begin to get an idea of what happened here in Antioch of Pisidia. 2 Timothy 3.11, he says, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch here, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them, all the Lord delivered me. In 2 Corinthians 11, he says that he was beaten with rods and with whips. Most commentators believe that's exactly what happened here at Antioch of Pisidia. Sometimes we have a skewed idea of persecution. And when someone is mean to us, and when someone gives us a dirty look, we're persecuted. I'm just carrying my cross. Here we see real persecution that Paul was faithfully preaching the gospel. And in return, they wanted to beat him. They wanted to whip him. And so how did Paul respond to that kind of intensity, that kind of intense persecution? Notice verse 51. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them. That was a sign of judgment. And came unto Iconium. You know what they did? On to the next. Hey, they rejected us here in Antioch of Pisidia. Guess what? I think there's a city nearby Iconium. They need the gospel. Let's go tell them. What did they do? They kept on moving forward. Can I please encourage you today that now is not the time to grow weary in well-doing. Now is not the time to quit. Now is the time to keep on moving forward, even against the current, even if it's difficult, even if it's painful, because Jesus will be with us every step of the way. So keep on moving forward on to the next. One person rejects me but I know that I'm selected by Almighty God and so I can keep on moving forward. They kept, kept on going. And I love, how, I love how it ends. Notice the last verse, verse number 52. It says this, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. They smiled through all of it. Can you imagine, I mean, getting beaten and whipped and persecuted, but you can move on to the next city with joy? What kind of joy? That's the kind of joy that I'm interested in. That's what I want to experience in my life. See, the point of this sermon today is not to say we're going against the current and the world is bad and the culture is bad. And so, hey, just keep your head down, hunker down, and we'll just wait till Jesus to come back. That's not what we're commanded to do in scripture. We're not commanded to just hunker down. We are commanded to move forward and to go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in on to the next. Hey, I want to encourage you today. We're already on the winning side. 
The victory is already ours. And so, yeah, it can get dark at times. And yeah, the culture can distort the truth and twist the truth. And yeah, we're going to hear news that shocks us and surprises us. And we're going to feel as though we're navigating against the current. But just like that salmon, we're going home. This world is not our home. And so we're called to be faithful here and now so that we can make an impact for all of eternity there and then. I was reading recently about uh, George Whitfield. He was a preacher in the Great Awakening, this amazing uh, awakening, uh, this revival that took place in the 1700s. And George Whitfield was, was drawing in crowds of upwards of 6,000 people in the city of Philadelphia. The city of Philadelphia only had 13,000 people. And so he was bringing in all kinds of people uh, to hear uh, this message of the gospel. What I didn't know till recently is how close that Benjamin Franklin and George Whitfield were in their friendship. And they spent a lot of time together and, and Whitfield would invite him to come to these revival services and Ben Franklin would come and uh, they were close friends. And, and uh, in fact, Benjamin Franklin would often publish the sermons of George Whitfield in all of his publications. He spent time at his house and, and they were close friends. But uh, towards the end of his life, as Benjamin Franklin wrote his autobiography, he wrote this tragic statement. And I wanted to read it this morning because I believe it's a sobering warning for, for all of us today, and especially for someone that doesn't know Christ as their savior. This is what Ben Franklin wrote in regards to his relationship with George Whitfield. He said this. He used indeed sometimes to pray for my conversion, but never had the satisfaction of believing that his prayers were heard. He said, Whitfield used to tell me the gospel message all the time, but he never had the satisfaction of knowing that his prayers were answered. In other words, he said, I didn't believe. I would encourage you today, if you don't know Christ, to not make the same decision as Ben Franklin, to know about Jesus and to hear about religion, but never make it personal for you. This was someone that knew all about the gospel. This was someone that published sermons in all of his publications and had a, a close friend who was preaching the great awakening, but he never made it real for himself. This is what the Bible says in John 5, 24. And as I read this last verse, you can join me in standing today. The Bible says this in John 5, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. Aren't you thankful for that today? That we can experience everlasting, eternal life and not go into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. This is the good news of the gospel message, that we can experience life and life everlasting. It's not about religion. It's not about being a good person and, and following a religious checklist. It's all about the grace of God. Ephesians says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Just like in this Christmas season, as we give gifts to loved ones, uh, we're not asking our loved ones to go and to earn these gifts. You know, Merry Christmas, Luke. You can have this if you go mow the lawn, right? That's, that's not how it works. It's a gift. And see, salvation is not something that we can achieve or earn by our own good merit because the Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. There's none righteous, no, not one. And that is why today that God sent his only son to live a perfectly sinless life, to die on the cross for our sins in our place so that we could experience forgiveness in a home in heaven. And so today the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can cry out to him and accept him and invite him into your life and you can be saved and know that you have a home in heaven. 
And if you've never made that decision today, I wanna give you an opportunity, a moment to do that. If you're watching online, I'd like to give you an opportunity to accept this message of salvation. If you are saved today, if you have accepted Christ, I would encourage you to keep on moving forward even when it's against the current. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.